Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, and also a coach, keynote, and TEDx speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. That's the place where you can learn about all kinds of things related to wellness, positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and lots of other wellness information. It is also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, my goal is to always bring you interesting, informative, and inspiring guests who can help us from their own specific specialty or point of view to help us to become better versions of ourselves, lead our lives enthusiastically in the way that they do, or at least to be able to take some clues from them as to how we go about it. And so it is with that in mind that I am really thrilled to present our guest for today, Chris Rudin serves as an international keynote speaker on overcoming adversity, change management, and disability inclusion. He is the author of the book, The Upper Hand, and is a world record-holding uh, amputee power lifter. Chris was born with a congenital disability in his left arm, as well as type 1 diabetes. And he spent many of his early years feeling less than. As he grew older, he spiraled from feeling humiliated and broken to struggling with mental health issues while living in a non-disabled, inclusive world. Today, he helps organizations like Nike, Facebook, and Tommy Hilfiger to create a world without limits and helps global audiences overcome adversity and improve their physical and mental well-being and overall quality of life. So it's going to be really interesting to find out how those beginnings led to these really awesome uh, occurrences today. Uh, Chris has appeared on uh, Today, Good Morning America, and has been featured in various print media like People Magazine, Muscle and Fitness, The Washington Post, and many more. And so with, and now he's appearing on Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. And it's such a pleasure to have you with us, Chris. Thanks for being here. Looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Well, I know you're going to be both educational and inspirational. So let's get to it. I discussed your background to some general extent, but I wonder if you could uh, maybe start out by just filling us in on your journey a little bit. Uh, you know, we talked about you having uh, physical disabilities some mental issues, and suddenly you're, you're telling people throughout the world how to help people function better with adversity. I'm sure there's a story there and it didn't happen overnight. So uh, if you can give us at least the Cliff Notes version of how you got to be you. 
you know that saying overnight success takes 20 years <laughs> that's definitely been me you know i was born with physical disability i have a cool prosthetic arm now you know but for 17 years i hid my disability i hid it in my pocket in a glove every way i could i became that kid who just like hid his disability and i pretended like it didn't hurt me but it did you know it it really shaped who I was and who I thought other people wanted me to be. So the majority of my life up until four or five years ago, I was that person who just hid his hand and I was a people pleaser and I was a shapeshifter, mask wearer, so to speak. And uh, it wasn't until a few years ago that I wrestled through that mental health of understanding who I am is not based on what I have or what I don't have. You know, who I am is not based on the conditions I have, but rather the person I choose to be. That kind of freed me and I started living my life, you know, a few years ago. So now it's my job to help people see their worlds without limits. It's very interesting. And it was what a misshapen arm or hand or yeah. So I was born with a congenital birth defect. I have two fingers on my left hand and a shorter left arm. And uh it's about four inches shorter than my right arm, so it's noticeable. Uh, but even it being noticeable, I would constantly wear long sleeves. I would shove it in my pocket. I would do the PE test, you know, the mile run with my hand in my pocket. Hmm. And it was so bad to the point where I went to Washington, D.C. for a field trip in middle school. I almost got arrested because I refused to take my hand out of my pocket for security going into the Washington Monument. It was that big of a deal for me. Wow. So was there some particular event or therapy or what, you know, triggered the switch that made you change? For me personally, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in like the, the Disneyfication of moments, you know, it's almost like this magical one moment and then it, everything was great. I think there's power in multiple moments that lead up in a compound effect and I hit rock bottom uh, multiple times. For some reason, I just kept running into it. I saw my mom. Uh, I, I accused my mom of basically like, why did you do this to me? Why did you make me look like this? My mom was a nurse. And I was, I was mad at her. I was mad at her for doing this to her kid. And I saw her break down. And like seeing her that upset, it was that instant moment where I realized like, okay, I don't want to see that ever again. But also I know there's like a responsibility for me and not just responsibility, but like responsibility, like an ability to respond that I had to choose to change that. So I started making these little changes, but it took a long time. And it really wasn't until I got diagnosed with diabetes, type 1 diabetes at 19 years old that I was like, man, I can't be this disabled diabetic kid. Like, this is a joke. Like, we just can't keep piling on the things, you know, I was like, what can I do with where I'm at? And it, it took a long time, but it started the process of thinking like, okay, I can't change this, but maybe I can change how I am. Maybe I can change how I respond. You know, maybe there's nothing to fix. Maybe I'm not broken, but maybe I just need to adapt. And that's what started the thinking, which started the exploration of I'm a one-handed guy living in a two-handed world. I needed to stop pretending like I was like everyone else because I was slightly different. And it wasn't until recently that I realized, wait a minute, everyone's different. We all have to find our way. I just finally found mine. Boy, that's, that's a, I knew it would be kind of inspiring. That's really wonderful to hear. But I have to ask from more than a curiosity standpoint, but having world, worked in the health psychology field for decades, 
I know that for many people, once they begin to see themselves as kind of impaired, or I, I don't like to use the word defective, but some of them have used the, the term on themselves, uh, it's not like it automatically can uh, can change the mindset. And I'm wondering whether, you know, you were one of those kids who despite uh, the impairments, whether you were good in school or had some kind of positive part of you that made made the switch a little easier. Because, again, just in working with people, I know it's it, you can impart the, the knowledge of it, the fact that, hey, everybody has their own impairments in some way, but getting them to act to that uh, when, when they've lived that way for whether it be 15, 20, 30 or more years uh, is, is challenging. What, what did you have going for you that enabled you to do so? So I definitely, one, never want to invalidate anyone's hardship because it took me almost 20 years. So a lot of these things, it sounds like, oh, it's logical. That's great. But there's the emotional component, the human component, which I still battle. People think, oh, how did you get to the point where you got over it? Like, mental health, there's no finish line to mental health. It requires constant uh, attention, it, constant attention, just like success, anything else. You don't just reach the finish line, you know? And for me, a lot of things happened. I, I numbed the pain whether it was, you know, hanging with the wrong crowd, whether it was trying to be competitive. You know, I played drums with one hand for years. I found ways to adapt to prove to myself and to other people that I was good enough. When in reality, I just needed to acknowledge that I was good enough. I needed to prove it, you know, and it took me a long time to see what I was doing in my coping mechanisms, awareness, you know, taking a step back and not numbing anything and not running from it. It took years to mature and to acknowledge that who I was was a shell of a person because I succumbed to that belief that I was broken. I thought of synonyms for disability and we, we you know, associate it, even with diabetes, we associate it with weak, broken, useless, helpless, all these words, these labels that, you know, without our permission, we don't believe, but with our permission, it completely changes our lives. It completely changes how we operate. And that's what it did for me. So there were, there were many moments, you know, I was speaking at a diabetes event and I was still hiding my hand and I'll never forget this moment where I'm at the Disney uh, resort and we're walking down this long hallway. It's me and this little girl named Madison. And uh, she had saw me speak. There's thousands of people there to see me speak, but I was still hiding my disability. I bought this girl a hat. It was her first year of, you know, getting diagnosed with diabetes and I made her day so special. We're walking down this long hallway and I always hid my hand. I, everything I did, I hid my hand. She grabs my, my left hand as we're walking down this long hallway and she's just swinging it happy. And I'm freaking out because that's, that's no, that's a no. And she looks at me and she's like, it's okay. You don't have to hide around me. And I was like, thousands of people came to see me speak, but this little girl is the only person who actually saw me. Hmm. That was one of those many moments that happened where I was like, if if I'm good enough for her, she thinks the world of me, like, why am I not good enough for myself? You know, and that was one of those moments that attributed to me finally, you know, taking my glove off that I was hiding my hand. And I posted a YouTube video to try and like help my expression. I went to sleep. 
And I woke up to millions and millions of views on that video and The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson calling me, inviting me to be on a TV show. And so much happened from embracing and accepting who I was and kind of taking that glove or that mask off of being broken because of my condition, diabetes or my disability. Wow, that's really, really quite a story. And I assume then that that is connected with the fact that you now have one of the most colorful kinds of prosthetic arms and hands that I've seen. Maybe not colorful, but best designed. Because oh yeah, right. But uh, do I assume that's not just kind of coincidence that that you've probably uh, wanted wanted to display that. I love that you caught that because a lot of people ask, you know, um, I was given the option to get a skin colored prosthetic and even the people working with me assumed because I was hiding my hand still, that's what I wanted. I purposely chose my tech. I love tech, you know, absolutely love tech. I purposely chose something that stands out because I want to be that like cool. I want to make disability cool. I want to change that narrative because I had a bad narrative or not bad, but I had uh, a less than optimal narrative on disability. And it's, I'm taking that as my job to change that. There's the same reason why I display my CGM and you know, I have an implanted CGM and I, I show it off. I don't, I don't cover it. Now other people's choice, maybe they do, but for me, I choose how I display my condition because it's a condition I didn't ask for, but you can bet I'm going to display my stuff how I want to now. Well, for those who aren't familiar with the term, just CGM stands for. Yes. Sorry. Uh, being a type one diabetic, um, it's a minute by minute condition. And we get so consumed with acronyms and how we take care of ourselves. So I have a it's CGM. It's a continuous glucose monitor. This is uh, called Eversense E3. It's a six month implanted CGM under the skin. And a sensor goes on top and reads my blood sugars to my phone because with diabetes, you're Blood sugar can change pretty much at any moment. No two days can be the exact same. So uh, having that definitely helps me take care of my condition. And more than taking care of my condition, all of this stuff, the tech, the hand, the CGM, it's about quality of life. You know, and I, I'm a big believer and pursuer of quality of life and encourager of quality of life because that's that's all we're going for. Everyone is going towards that same goal, you know. And for me to take care of my conditions the best way possible for myself, that helps me. Yeah, it's really interesting because one of my former sponsors was continuous glucose monitor CGM for uh, people who aren't diabetic. Oh, and it's awesome. really interesting as I wore it to realize how how much, uh, you know, blood sugar levels can change during the day and how much you can control it. Uh, so it's really interesting. Let me ask you, the uh, the advice that you give on stages and elsewhere, uh, is it specifically aimed at people with uh, with disabilities? Sounds like there's, there's a lot of people who can utilize the advice uh, of strengthening the self-image and so on. I'm wondering, number one, do, do you tend to pretty much specialize in people with disabilities and or are there some general principles that can be shared with the, the general population? So my my soft spot will always be my communities, you know, diabetes and disability. But diabetes and disability are the superficial problem when it comes down to internal communication or uh, the narratives we have. 
you know, so I try and apply an approach that helps everyone, whether they have a specific kind of disability or whether they just are going through life, you know, hardship is hardship and it's a universal language. Mm -hmm. I've spoken in Uganda and Africa, and I've spoken all around the United States, but everyone understands and associates hardship with, you know, life. So I try and help as many people as I can in the three pillars that I talk about, which is overcoming adversity, diversity and inclusion and change management, whether it's an organization or a nonprofit or anyone in between. I, I believe everyone can benefit from improving communication, both outwardly and inwardly. And do you find uh, that like major companies and so on are receptive to it or are there you know, some old biases that, that tend to need to be overcome or so how, this, how, how difficult a task do you have? It's a, that's a good point. Um, over the last few years, let's say four or five years, I've spoken at hundreds of companies from Fortune 500 companies to smaller startups and everything in between. Some companies are so receptive to it and are so forward thinking. Some companies are still kind of stuck in the uh, checking a box. And like anything, there's no one and done approach. And there's definitely no universal fix to an individual problem. So whether it's a, a concept that requires multiple seminars or top-down engagement from management down or even employees up, everyone needs something slightly different. But I will say over the last few years, the progress towards being open to changing management styles, changing leadership styles and improving workplace culture has been greatly improving. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, and let me ask you about the average listener uh, who, well, again, all of us have have impairments uh, that we may not have had to deal with physical disabilities. How should somebody, you're not my employee or anything, but if we meet each other, how should I react to you? Should I ask about this very noticeable thing? Should I kind of ignore and treat you just as, you know, it's part of you that if it's no different than wearing glasses or, you know, whatever it may be, probably dragging on the question longer than I need to. But I do think that for many of us, whether it's seeing somebody, uh, meeting somebody who's holding a cane, whether it's somebody who's uh, has an obvious physical malformation or whatever it may be, uh, help us know how, how to react to you. So I think it's definitely an individual basis. So there's no, I don't, I don't believe there's a such thing as should or shouldn't. It's more so reading the room one and two, I always like to set a base of if you met someone and they were severely overweight, would you ask them about why they're overweight? Mm -hmm. Most people would probably say no. And it's a similar, similar topic, unless the person brings it up, or unless you feel like you're in a spot in the conversation that is prompting it. It's not something to pretend like doesn't exist, but it's also not something you want to pinpoint. Because if that's something they're struggling with, you think about yourself, if there's something you're personally struggling with or not accepting, you probably don't want people to point it out because you see it or deal with it every day. It's definitely a case by case basis. I am one of those people that I love when people talk to me about it, but I know people who don't like that. Mm -hmm. It's really individual. So it's better to play it safe. And a lot of people ask, oh, what do you prefer to be called? Like, is it disabled? Is it crippled, handicapped? I tell people, Chris, 
Chris is fine. Great. <laughs> Great. Well, that's terrific. And, uh, you know, I think it, it just fits with everything else we know about people that, you know, we're all a collection of traits. And, uh, you know, to focus on one thing, it, it, that's not, not how the person is defined. You know, it's to reduce that that reduces the humanness of us. You know, there's so much more that you have to offer that I have to offer than the color of our hair or lack of hair or skin, skin color or eye color. There's so much more we have to offer as people to each other and as a community. So we, we just don't want to reduce just because of our curiosity, you know. Speaking of curiosity, one of the things that I'm curious about is how you become a champion power lifter, you know, is it a one-handed kind yeah. of thing or how do, how do you do that? And who are you competing against when you, when you do that? So as I was kind of struggling to find who I was and being competitive in nature, I wanted to be a bodybuilder because most people told me I couldn't. Bodybuilding is all about symmetry and I don't have symmetry, but I was like, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I started getting stronger. I ended up getting invited to do a powerlifting meet, which is like the competition. And I won and I wasn't even taking it seriously. I'm like, if I'm not taking it seriously, imagine what would happen if I really focused. So over the course of five years, I ended up breaking four state records, one world record, deadlifting 675 pounds. And I competed against able-bodied competitors. So I was the only type one diabetic disabled power lifter in the group. I found ways to do my own lifting. I found a lifting hook that I could attach to my residual limb and it would hold, you know, 135, 225, 315. And then at 405 pounds, it started slipping off. So I found another way to attach a wrist wrap over that to create more uh, contact force held up to 585. But after that, still slipping off. So I use skin tack spray on the skin, like what people use on a football with the gloves to catch. I would use that directly on my skin with the wrist wrap and got all the way up to 675. Boy, that is so inspirational to know how, you know, if you've got a will and you really set out to achieve a goal, that persistence and achieving that goal can sometimes really get the results that you want. And I think that is has to be very, very encouraging to uh, to our listeners, because again, all of us have something that we have to overcome. Were you always this confident a, a presenter? I mean, is, is this something that, you know, I, I have to wonder, you know, uh, how you, again, you made it from a certain, a, a certain self-image to obviously being able to, to present, but were you always like able to give book reports with confidence in school or, or stuff like that? I think uh, I've always had a natural knack for wanting to be in the spotlight, which was really weird because I always wanted to hide. But I felt more comfortable being away from crowds, even if it was on a stage, than being in a crowd. Hmm. And believe it or not, I am definitely an introvert. I'm a big introvert. Um, hard to believe. Yeah, I know. For work, I'm the most extroverted person because... I feel like I'm giving value and you couldn't convince me otherwise that I'm not helping. And to help someone to me, that's like my main mission when it comes to social, I'd rather be, you know, off to myself, you know, I like that. I'm not a big party or any of that. 
I love what I do for a living and I take it very seriously. So for me to connect with people, uh, I do use charisma that I can, you know, give people to allow people to open up to me and with me. Uh, I studied communication. I studied, you know, body language. I studied how to communicate better. I started going to classes to learn how to present better. I did my first keynote uh, as a kind of a surprise because my buddy was doing a nonprofit event for diabetes and invited me to speak. I did it and people liked it. They loved it, but I knew I could do better, you know? So I started going to Toastmasters and classes and learning how can I communicate better? How can I use storytelling as a vessel for a message that allows people to do something with it? So now when I speak, I speak confidently because I, I truly believe in what I'm doing and I've studied and improved the way I communicate so that it's receptive to people. I learned that people don't just want to know about the story, but they really want to know about the message. And for me, my message is helping people see their world without limits. Wonderful message. And I know one of the ways that you communicate, in addition to speaking, is you've written a book. Uh, tell us about it. That was, uh, I think, as most authors, that was a four or five year process that should have been way, way sooner. So don't let me fool you. I still procrastinate. I still mess up. I still, I am in no way perfect whatsoever. Uh, as polished as sometimes speakers or presenters, even podcasters like yourself can seem, we still make mistakes. You know, the book was one of those limiting beliefs I had that it wasn't going to be good enough. It wasn't going to be, you know, uh, strong enough. I, I wasn't doing it at the right time. I finally spoke it into existence. Instead of writing it, I'm a speaker. I spoke and recorded it. And I wanted to help people with not just another self-help book. I wanted to talk about communication. But I realized I, I heard this, this saying my whole life, and you might have heard this too. Communication is key. I'm sure you've heard it. But I realized like that's step two, because self-communication is key. If we can't communicate with ourselves, how do we expect other people to communicate with us? So I took that approach of we need to learn to communicate with ourselves more than expecting other people to communicate with us. You know, we had this expectation of not doing the thing we should be doing in the first place. <laughs> so I wrote a book uh, called The Upper Hand. One, because it's a dad joke. I think it's funny, you know, <laughs> making light of my situation. But two, it's about having the upper hand over yourself and the narratives that we give ourselves. We talked earlier about labels and um, kind of the words that people use, and that matters. So I have six concepts in my book that help people change the way they talk with themselves to change the one thing we can control, which is our thoughts or our reactions, you know, and it's hard. It's difficult. Yes. But like anything, it takes practice. And what you practice inevitably gets a little bit better over time. Not perfect but better. And that's all we can ask for. Oh, great. And you, uh, you reminded me of some sore times during the, the writing of my book. You know, you know. <laughs> actually, I wound up speaking it to somebody, uh, you know, and getting it, you know, actually dictating the first copy, although it was largely handwritten before. And, and like you, it took Took quite a while from the time I started to, uh, well, really long time from the time of the idea till till yeah. it was produced. So I, I can certainly that's an area where I certainly can empathize with you. Uh, and where can people get the book? So you can get my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. 
most of the people go through Amazon. And uh, I just like to give as much free information as possible too. So on my social media, everything is my name at Chris Rudin. I grew a pretty large following on social media, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. It's just all about communication, life with diabetes, life with life, you know, just, just having life and learning to use communication to get through it, but also the occasional donut and, you know, uh, balance of quality of life. I'm big on that. Great. Great. And, uh, so it's, uh, Chris Rudin on all kinds of on all platforms. Yep. Okay. You never know, uh, some of the people who listen to the podcast, but if somebody is interested in booking you as a speaker or finding out if you're affordable or whatever it may be, uh, is, do you have a website or email or speaker page or how, how would somebody find that? Yes. So my website is chrisrudin.com. My email is chris at chrisrudin.com. And I'm listed on uh, quite a few speaker bureaus. Uh, but if anyone is interested having me speak at your company or at a specific event, just feel free to message me and we'll work out the details. And if I'm correct, without uh, looking at at any notes, Rudin is spelled R-U-D-I-N, right? D-E-N. Close. Oh, close. You, oh, so man. close. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> and, and listeners may not know, but I absolutely checked with Chris before. Yes, you got the pronunciation. Yeah, I figured there's no way I can mispronounce it, but just to be safe, I'll, and I was right. But anyway, uh, my uh, fallibility has been exposed once again. I always make sure that I make some kind of mistake on the podcast, but I certainly didn't make a mistake in booking you as a guest. I'm so grateful that you came on, Chris, and shared your wisdom, uh, shared your history, and shared all the advice that people can use. And uh, certainly, if, if you re-listen to the podcast, you can see you don't have to have a physical impairment to make use of a lot of the thinking that Chris brought to the show. And for that, I'm really, really grateful. Of course. I appreciate you having me. Great. Well, and I hope listeners will... Uh, download the podcast, tell your friends about it, uh, review it, rate it, and then be back next week when we have another really interesting guest to tell us how they lead their own lives with enthusiasm, how they can help us become better versions of ourselves. In the meantime, please visit the website, the Mental Health Gym, and pick up all kinds of information regarding well-being and positive psychology. And in the meantime, everybody make sure that you are leading your life in a positive way. No matter what limitations you may have, don't let them define you. Stay positive and stay safe. And we'll see you next time.